This morning we continue with our Essentials uh, sermon series that we're in. We're working through different topics that we believe are foundational to the Christian life. There is a book at the back welcome table called Concise Theology that we're using as a, as a reference material. If you haven't picked one up yet, I invite you to do that. You can pick one up for free. There's a little bookmark in there that gives the reading schedule. Also at the back welcome table is a little uh, half sheet of the small group questions for the week ahead. If you're in a small group, you can pick this up at the welcome table or download from the website this afternoon. If you're not in a small group, I'd even encourage you to pick up the small group questions anyhow, something that you can reflect on in the week ahead. But I encourage you to participate in that way. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, beginning with the 11th verse. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth, and we ask that you would take your word now and equip us, empower us to live the lives you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. It was probably about 11.05 p.m. I was supposed to be home at 11. Not only was I supposed to be home at 11, but I was supposed to be just at the neighbor's. Well, at 11.05, I found myself with a flat tire on the interstate. I was with a couple of buddies, and I thought, this is no big deal. Flat tire, fix it. Mom and dad can kind of work up some little story why we're late. Movie ran long at the neighbors, something like that. Start taking the lug nuts off of the flat tire. 1991 little sunbird thing, taking the lug nuts off. We all of a sudden get, we can't get this one lug nut off. Thinking, what in the world? Can, this is a simple thing. My buddy's looking at it, and he goes, oh, you need one of those special keys to get this lug nut off. And I'm going, special keys? We're just tearing everything out of the trunk. Where is this special key? Nowhere to be found. At this time, we're getting more towards the 11.45 midnight time frame. And now, what am I thinking? Someone please stop and save us. Someone please stop and just have this magical key in your glove compartment that can change this tire and I can at least be home by midnight because then I can at least say, well, I thought you said 12, not 11. All I'm thinking, right, is please save me. Why? Because I can already feel the wrath of mother's eyes when she's sleeping on the couch or on the couch when I walk in the door. Whenever we're in a situation of peril, Whenever we're in a situation of darkness, we're usually asking someone what? Please save us. And why do we want to be saved from that situation? Because of the consequences, right? All I'm thinking about, save me from the negative consequences. And that's usually what we think about. When we think of being saved, we think of, whew, that was a close one. At least you got out of that situation. Well, this morning, we want to take a little different path. That that yes, we are saved by God through God's grace. But the question this morning is not, what are we saved from, but what are we saved for? What are we saved for? 
And this morning we get a clear picture from God's word that God gives us his grace. In other words, that God's gift appears in the person of Jesus Christ to save us. But not, not to save us from something, but rather to save us for something. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, the famous Bible passage about saved by faith, not a work of ourselves, but a gift from God, saved by grace, that passage finishes with the famous statement, you are saved, you are now God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That passage finishes by saying what we're saved for. We are saved for something. This morning, you and I are saved for good works. In other words, our non-negotiable this morning is this. God's grace frees us to be people zealous to do good works. God's grace frees us to be people zealous to do good works. Yes, we have been saved from something. We've been saved from the wrath of God. That when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes punishment that you and I deserve. When he takes that punishment, we're saved from that punishment in the future. But it's not that... God just says, well, whew, good. Now I don't have to punish him. Let him just go on and do whatever thing. Jesus dies on the cross to free us from that which caused him to be on the cross. So he saves us from our sin, but he now saves us to enter into a whole new life, to live a life of good works. God's grace frees us. And you and I struggle with grace. It's because you and I struggle with this idea of a free gift. For example, last year our congregation, if you remember, the ice storm hit and we went out and we cleaned up branches, right? What were you told to do that day? Not accept any money. What did you all do that day? You all accepted a bunch of money. Thing. That was like our church's best fundraiser ever. Thing. Thing. But why? Because people don't know how to respond to a free gift. What's your first response when somebody does something for you? Oh, I've got to pay for that, don't I? It's not just the people whose lawns we cleaned up, but it's all of us. We have a hard time receiving a free gift. And when we receive a gift, it's always like that awkward thing. What do, I, do I give something in return? Just a thank you note? What, what do I do? We struggle with this free gift. But what we have from God is a free gift. God's grace. Grace is really just simply means God's gift or God's favor to us unmerited. God's gift, God's favor unmerited. In other words, we did nothing to get the favor. We did nothing to get the gift. Just gave it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. It's a gift because we didn't do anything to get it. And so now the question is, what do we do when we get this gift? What do we do when grace appears? And that's where we turn in Titus chapter 2 this morning, and we see this explanation of what happens when grace appears. What happens when we get this free gift? In Titus chapter 2, we're coming on a passion, passage of Scripture here. If you read all of Titus chapter 2, God's giving some specific commands to different groups of people. That's before verse 11. And now we get to verse 11. It's the four if you want to take your pen or your pencil and underline or circle that word for there in verse 11, that's indicating that the reason is coming now why I can give those standards that I just gave. So in other words, the Apostle Paul's almost saying, hey, I just laid out all of these standards, and now he's saying almost like, the reason I can lay out those standards is because of this. And so why can he say that? For the grace of God has appeared. Notice his appeal. His appeal is not, hey, 
I'm giving you these high standards because I'm an apostle. I'm giving you these high standards because God demands it. Therefore, do it. He's giving these high standards because grace appeared. In other words, a gift came to us. And when a gift comes to us, what happens? Well, he describes what should happen to us. Normally, when grace appears, we fall in one of two camps. The first camp that we often fall into when grace appears is the camp of a license to do anything. Right? So when your parents give you that first time when they say, hey, you're 18 now, no longer have a curfew. What time does that young child, that young man or young woman usually come back home that night? Not 11.01 or 10.59. Right? They're going to experience with the 1 a.m., the 2 a.m., the 3 a.m., or they might see them next day at lunch. Right? I, I saw this all the time. I went to a, a Christian college, University of Sioux Falls, and, and it kind of has Baptist roots, and see a lot, you saw a lot of kids come there from families that had pretty strict upbringings, right? They came to college. The parents are gone. No one's there to check on it. It was like a whole new freedom. And what did they do with that freedom? Let me tell you this. My Bible study was not full at 10 p.m., they had this newfound freedom. What do they do with it? A license to do anything and everything. That's usually what we do when we, when we get this gift of grace. We use it as a license to do whatever we want. Why? Well, we got a gift. We're good to go. So one way we fall off is we usually fall off at being a license. We just go ahead and do anything. In other words, we return to lawlessness. A license to do anything really returns us to lawlessness. Look with me, if you would, in Titus chapter 2 here, where it says in verse 14. Verse 14, it tells us what Jesus did. It says, He redeems us from all lawlessness. In other words, He ransoms us or He purchases us. He moves us out of lawlessness. Lawlessness is simply this. Ignoring the law. Disobeying the law. And so sometimes when the grace appears, we enter into a license to just do whatever, which leads to lawlessness. And we think, well, we're good to go because of God's grace. Yet, God's grace came to what? Redeem us from lawlessness. And so if we take God's grace and fall right back into that, all we're doing is what? Rejecting the gift of grace. Trampling on the gift of grace. Dishonoring the gift of grace. One way we respond is a license to do anything. Another way we respond when we get the gift of grace is what we in the church call legalism. So legalism is basically now grace has appeared. Oh, I'm forgiven. But what we need now is we need a bunch of set of rules. And we need some rules so that we can stay forgiven and keep God loving us. Now, be very clear on this. Legalism is not having high standards. You can have high standards and, and not be a legalist. A legalist is having high standards and you have to fulfill those high standards for God to love you or accept you or forgive you. Legalism is using our own works, our own efforts to achieve what only Jesus can do on our behalf. So a legalist oftentimes views their relationship with God based upon how they're doing in regards to obedience to God. So for example... A legalist, if they fall off the bandwagon a little bit and maybe they make a mistake in life and they trip up, usually a legalist then responds with a lot of guilt and they kind of just pull away from the whole Christian thing a little bit because they feel like they cannot approach God now 
because they were using their previous behavior to put themselves in good favor with God. A legalist uses God's law to try and get in good favor with God. And when God's grace appears, sometimes that's where we fall off. We're like, yes, God's grace, he's forgiven us, now we need some new rules to keep us on this path. And we use those rules then to keep God's favor. So you can see the pendulum can swing in two different directions. I can swing over there and just do whatever I want. I can swing over here and make the rules into a thing to earn God's favor or God's forgiveness. But what does grace actually do? Maybe the best way to describe God's grace is to think of yourself as a dog for a moment. Now, I know this maybe isn't, but just think of yourself as a dog for a moment. If you have a dog in the city, what do you usually have? A fenced-in backyard, right? If you have a fenced-in backyard in the city, you have a dog. What happens when you open that gate to the backyard? Dog is gone. Thing. At least my dog is. Thing. Thing. They're just gone. Thing. The moment you open the gate, they're gone. So therefore, you've got to have a fence to keep the, the, the dog in line, right? Thing. And the dog just doesn't wander freely and come back to your doorstep. Well, you move out to the country, you don't have a fence at all, right? You have a dog. Where does the dog sit? On the doorstep. You're like, I've got seven acres. Go wherever you want. But where does the dog always come back to? The doorstep. So what does grace do? What grace does is grace frees us from sin, gives us forgiveness. And when we see and experience this gift, what it does is, by a grace of God, the power of God, it creates in us a faith, a trust in God, that now what do we want to do? We want to sit on the doorstep. We've got all of these acres to run. We could, we've got a license to do whatever. But what do we want to do? We want to be near the one who has forgiven us. And we've been freed from our wrongdoing. We've been forgiven from our wrongdoing. On a farm, you don't have a fence, right? You don't have a fence to keep your dog in line. And what happens once in a while? The dog wanders, right? The dog usually wanders until what? The neighbor gets sick and tired of the dog wandering, and with the old farm truck just gives him one of these driving by. So when the dog feels that, that one time, what usually happens? The dog will stay a little bit closer to home. And when we have this freedom, sometimes we do go out. We still have our sinful nature. We fall off. We continue to make mistakes. And we learn in those moments where we hurt others, or we hurt ourselves, we dishonor God, and we return. We don't have that fence that we have to, to put up in order for us to return. We don't have to obey certain rules for us to return, but rather God's in a position of favor with us. You see, God's grace appears. God's gift comes, and what does it do? The whole description in Titus 2 is this. It basically just purifies us to be people who are zealous to do good works. In other words, this is what we do. This is who we are. We are people that want to do good because God's gift has come in freely. I don't owe anything back to God now. I didn't do anything to get it, but God has given it, and that gift now does what? Transforms us. It removes the barriers and allows us to focus on God alone. Because now what? We don't have to use good works to earn God's favor. The good works are now what? For the sake of our neighbor. If you're using your good works 
to earn favor with God, what you're doing basically is you're doing good works for a selfish reason, for your own benefit. But when we come to experience forgiveness through Christ, now our good works are not to earn favor, but our good works are simply for the benefit of our neighbor. There's a famous saying that's attributed to Martin Luther that says, God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does. And God frees us to live a life of good works. God's just fine. God's going to remain God. Who needs our good works right now is the young girl down on the corner. Who needs our good works right now is the orphan in Jamaica. Who needs our good works right now is the man who's been released from work and and is considering entering into a life of, of whatever and is about to enter into prison. Or the man who's coming out of prison looking for a second chance. Who needs our good works? They need our good works. We need to help them meet their needs. Not because we get something from it, but rather we've been freed to do it because God loves us and now we can live out what we were created to do because God has forgiven us. God's grace appears and it frees us to be people who are zealous for good works. Zealous. Let's think about that word a minute. Zealous. There was uh, what was called zealots in Jesus' day. Zealots were people that wanted to overtake the Roman government basically by any means. So zealots were known for wanting to stab tax collectors. Zealots were known for wanting to get a group of people, kind of form an army, and by physical force bring freedom from the Roman Empire. So zealots, just at any cause, they were going to get done what they wanted to have done. And and that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be zealots. We're supposed to be zealots, not for, for physical force, but for good works. Whatever it takes, I want to do that to meet the needs of others. Uh, I'm passionate about that. When, when someone pokes you today, when someone pokes you today, you might bleed purple. Probably not after today when the Vikings lose game number three. But right now, right now, you might bleed purple. When someone pokes you, why do you bleed purple? Because that's what you're passionate about. That's what you talk about on lunch break. That's what you're on your smartphone looking at on the way home at the red light. You're looking at vikings.com. That's what you're passionate about. Christians, followers of Christ, grace has appeared to what? Make us passionate about good works that we want at every turn take advantage of an opportunity to serve another person, to, to, to look out to the needs of someone else. That, that's what we are. We bleed good works because that's what God's grace has freed us to do. And so the practical application this week is three things. Practical application this week, number one, might be really confusing. Number one practical application this week is this, deal with guilt. Deal with guilt. What I mean by that is this, we've got a real problem with guilt in the church today and in society today. And you're going to feel guilt for a couple of different reasons. Some of you this morning, whenever there's an opportunity presented at church to do something, you leave going, oh, I wish I could help with that. And then you always feel bad for not helping with that. Well, I want to challenge you today. There are times when you probably should feel bad, that you should be guilty for not helping with that. But what you need to do is you need to go back and examine your schedule. You need to examine your priorities and see, okay, am I helping where I can help? And if I'm helping where I can help, I'm doing what I'm called to do. I don't have to feel guilty every time they ask for something and I can't participate in every single thing. 
The reason you need to give yourself some freedom this morning is this. It's because you have faith in Christ that frees you. That faith is what releases you from anxiety. It's not participating in more and more good works. Some of you are guilty this morning because you have to say no. That should not cause guilt. But that no should be because you have your priorities in order, because you are seeking to live a life of faith. And then others of you this morning, let's be honest, you should leave guilty today. You should leave guilty today that there are needs in our community that are not being met. And you actually have some resources and some time to do something about it. There are times when I should feel guilty that I decided to do something for leisurely comfort of my own rather than the good of another. But I'd really challenge you, get to the root of your guilt. Get to the root of your guilt today. And then there's some of you this morning that are dealing with guilt that has nothing to do with good works. But you're dealing with guilt because of past behaviors or current behaviors. Something that you've done or you've left undone. God loves you. You are in God's favor today. Not because of what you've done or because you've stopped doing it, but you are in God's favor today because Jesus Christ has died for you. You may be looking at the results of what you've done physically. You may have to to face those results on a regular basis. But what you need to do then is you then need to preach to your own soul that in Christ I am forgiven. In Christ I am loved. Disciples of Jesus Christ are the last people that should be wallowing in guilt because Jesus has taken our penalty because we know that we can't earn God's favor. We're already in God's favor. God loves us. God does not want you walking around in guilt today, but rather God wants to free you through his free gift to go forth and be people zealous for good works. We need to deal with our guilt. Let me just challenge you again on this is to find someone and be honest with them. If you're dealing with guilt because of something you do, you need to confess that to a group of people or to another individual. Release it and let them speak words of forgiveness over you. Release it. Experience forgiveness. And let let experience that love from other people when you tell them what you've done wrong and then they embrace you. And if someone confesses confesses to you this week, okay, don't kick them out of your small group thing but rather embrace them and say, we're going to walk alongside of you. We need to embrace and allow others to embrace us. The second PAT this week is this. Find a need and give yourself to it. You've heard me say this before. We need to be a mile deep. A mile deep. So often today, we're an inch deep and a mile wide. Thing. We, we just kind of do a little bit of everything to really do nothing to fruition, or nothing well enough to to really benefit others. I would challenge everybody, every follower of Jesus Christ, you should have a need that you are so passionate about. Some injustice in our world, or some physical need, spiritual need somewhere that that just fires you up. And that's what you give yourself to. If that's that's people without furniture, if that's orphans, if if that's women who are being prostituted, whatever that would be, whatever that need is, that that's what you live for. You want to give yourself to meet that need. That doesn't mean that's only what you do, but that's, that's where you zero in and focus. Find a need and give yourself to it. Now, thirdly, focus on relationship, not transaction. Focus on relationship, 
not transaction. What we don't need, we don't need a bunch of transactional good works. So after today, we don't need everybody to drive down to the banquet and drop off a $5 donation. It's just not needed. What we need is people that say, I want to be in relationship with others to meet their needs. You see, the difference between a follower of Christ and good works and a non-follower of Christ, a non-follower of Christ of good works is transactional. It's just something they do once in a while. But a follower of Christ, good works flow out of who we are as people. And so we want to be in relationship with others to meet their needs. And so what I would challenge you to do this next week is this. Take number two, the PAT number two, set that on the back burner for a moment. It'd be really easy today to say, hey, you know what? We've got this need. Everybody sign up today to, to, to bring a coat, right? And we get everybody riled up and everybody brings a coat next week. And then we're done. Thing. Uh, uh, no, no, no. We don't need just a one-time transaction. What we need is we need people who are in relationship with others at their work, with others in their neighborhood, who are constantly seeking to look to the needs of those neighbors, of those co-workers. So don't sign up for any new transactions this week. What I mean by that is if you see an opportunity to sign up for the banquet, you see an opportunity to sign up to serve somewhere, don't do that this week. This week, examine your life that you're in day-to-day, the workforce, in your home, wherever it might be, and ask yourself this, am I relationally serving others continually? And then next week and the weeks after, begin to add in some transactions and do those in the nature of relationship, where you give yourself to build relationship with others. I don't know if that makes sense at all. I hope that makes sense. First PAT, deal with guilt. God frees us. Second PAT, find a need and give yourself to it. Third, let it be a life of relationship, not just a life of transaction. Jesus Christ has come to free us to do good works. When I often think about the work of Jesus and what he does and how Jesus is sometimes resembled to the world, there's always that sign on the corner, right? Of the guy, the famous Christian at the football game, wherever, and it always says what? Turn or burn. Right? That's the message of Christianity to the majority of culture. Turn or burn. That sign is partially correct that God's message is that salvation does save us from something. That when we enter into a life of repentance, we are saved from something. But that's not the message at all. That's not the heart of God we see from the Scriptures. The heart of God we see from the Scriptures is this. A God who loves us so much that He sent His one and only Son to come and live the perfect life. And that Son came with the message that said, Be who you were created to be. Be people who love God with their whole heart. Be people who love the neighbors as they love themselves. It's not turn or burn, but rather turn and be who you were created to be. Experience the salvation and be saved for a life of good works, of being who you were created to be, of reflecting the image of God to the world around you. Go forth this week guilt-free, not because of your good works, But go forth guilt-free because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and experience that forgiveness to be a person who's zealous for good works. Don't go forth and serve yourself, but rather go forth and serve your neighbor. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks to you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, 
not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God, thank you for freeing us from sin. And this morning, Lord, I ask that you'd move upon each person's heart today. We ask, God, that you would enable each of us to experience freedom. I pray this morning for anyone that's struggling with guilt. God, I pray for anyone that's feeling unworthy today. God, I ask that you would break in and embrace them through your word, through the revelation of Jesus. God, I pray this morning for anyone who's, who's struggling to set priorities so they can enter into a life of meeting the needs of others. God, I ask that you give them wisdom and discernment. God, this morning I pray specifically upon everybody here that you would lay a burden upon each person's heart of a spe- specific need that they can be passionate about. God, lay that upon our hearts today as a congregation and as individuals. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would create in us people that are focused on relationships, not just transactions. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your free gift. In Jesus' name, amen.